Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. How are we doing, 9 a.m.? My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad you are with us. And uh, it's good to be back. Some of you uh, know our journey the last um, about month. And if I can just be super real with you, uh, from my mom breaking her neck um, literally about a month ago, she's uh, battling Alzheimer's. And then um, my brother-in-law, my sister's brother, taking his life um, two weeks ago. It has been a crazy time. And I just wanted to thank you on behalf of my wife and I, our family, extended family, for the unbelievable outpouring of whether it's texts or emails or uh, whatever else has just been absolutely over the top. And we have not gotten to all of those. We may not reply to you. We are going to do our best. Um, but please let that not be an indicator of any lack of gratitude um, for you, for your love, for your support has been absolutely incredible. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my wife is doing well. Um, it's been a tough season, but she's doing well. And I, I almost struggle to say this because I don't want it to sound cliche, but um, it's in these moments where it is really difficult, but you also realize that Jesus really is enough. And I think on, on behalf of her, she would say that's where she's at right now. Um, I just want to say that she uh, gets a lot of counseling appointments. She's going to kind of take a pause on those. So please do not take um, that personally, we will do our best with communication, but she's not going to do any counseling for a little while. And um, your understanding on that is really appreciated. So thank you guys as a gathering. Um, so with that said, I feel like I need to say this again to kind of lighten the mood. You guys ready uh, to dive into I Declare War? Um, real quick before I get there, two weeks ago, we asked this question, and you're going to hear about this every week for the next, um, you know, almost four months. And that is, um, what would you do? What would you give up? And how much is the one worth? And we're talking all about the one, meaning one single individual with a name and with a story and a background that's really, really personal, whether it's a brother-in-law, whether it's a mom, whether it's a son, a daughter, a neighbor, somebody that you've been tracking with for a while, but what would you do and what would you give up for the sake of seeing them move from death to life or from lost to found or see them encounter Jesus? Like, what would you do? What would you give up for the one? And our whole goal as a church is to be a church for the one. And so two weeks ago, uh, we launched this idea and this announcement that on Easter Sunday, April the 21st, we are launching a Centerpoint North Campus. And what you need to know, and thank you for the one woo, um, on the second row, uh, I know it's two weeks old, it's old news now, but got one woo. Um, on April 21st, Easter Sunday, and we're, we're doing it for the one. Um, what you need to know is the last two weeks, we've had our largest back-to-back non-holiday attendances ever. We're at 1,000 people on a weekend right now and growing um, literally every week. 
In fact, I'll show you one picture here that I think is going to pop up on the screen um, that shows our CC kids during one of our services. Um, just one of our services, we had 122 elementary kids. That doesn't include nursery. That's just one service, uh, one group of elementary kids. We had during the 1045 people um, sitting in the lobby last week and listening through the speakers back there because there was no room in here. And so that's why we're doing this, but it's not a numbers thing. It is we need to create more space at optimal times at nine and 11 for people who are being invited and are coming. And I'll, I'll just be really direct with you. Um, whatever your apprehension is, and some of you are a little risk adverse and you're nervous about new things, whatever your objections are pale in comparison and are trumped by our need and desire to reach our city and fulfill the great commission. And so we are required to step out in faith we are required to risk. We are required to have you be uncomfortable, and that's okay. I love you. Uh, we are doing this. We believe Jesus is leading the way. We are in the midst of something in our church right now that I've never experienced in my years here thus far. And so um, we are going to be faithful with what Jesus has called us. And so here's what you can do as we get closer. We need you to serve and we need you to invite. We need hundreds of people who aren't serving anywhere to go. I wanna be a part of this body and I'm not just gonna be a fan of the mission, I'm gonna be a contributor. And so if you're one of those hundreds, we just need you to step up. There's a card right in front of you that says, sign me up. And today is a good day to do that. Um, CC Kids is growing like crazy. We are anchoring the gospel in little hearts. We are not parking cars when people come in because they can't park, though some of you can't park. We are tearing away barriers for people to connect with Jesus. And God is doing something incredible here. And you need to, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you must be a part of it. This isn't like a, if you decide to, we're a part of the body of Christ. You need to root yourself in a local community. You need to move this thing forward. And it's gonna happen, I think, with or without you, but it's gonna be really cool if you're a part of it. So today, you need to sign up to serve. Can I get one woo? Give me another woo right here. And then the second thing is you need um, to get 30 seconds of courage. If you would even share your story out in front of that um, thing, whatever you call it, in the lobby. And I love hearing the stories already. I heard a couple this week of um, individuals who are inviting their ex's girlfriend, which I think like that's a whole nother level of 30 seconds of courage right there. You know Jesus is working. And so Yours doesn't even have to be that legit, but um, hashtag my 30 seconds. And if you would, uh, just begin to invite now. And I'm excited about what God's gonna do. Last thing, on January 27th, that's next week at 5 p.m., um, will kind of be our first gathering at that North Campus. And for a lot of you, you just need to see it because you have questions that may be answered if you're just there um, next Sunday night. We're gonna celebrate baptisms. Some of you, you can still sign up to be baptized today. Go to the tent out there, grab a card in front of you. But we're gonna celebrate baptisms. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna pray over what God's about to do. And it gives you the chance to just visually see where we're going, which I think for some of you will be helpful. And then last thing, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you need to go back and listen to the For the One message. That may answer a lot of questions for you. I think you're gonna be behind and there's gonna be some gaps until you do that. Um, I'm not um, short-winded. I don't think that's a word, but it is a word now. So you need about 55 minutes there, but I try to unpack the best I can. So go listen to the For the One message and then we'll see you next week at 5. 5 p.m. All right, cool. You ready? Ready to go? Ready to go? Okay. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray for you and pray for what God's about to do. And we're going to dive in and move here in part two of I Declare War. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. 
We thank you for what you are doing in this place and through these people, and we do not take it for granted. It is a move of your power. We thank you for the vision that you've given. We thank you that we get to be stewards of this incredible movement. We thank you that every single weekend, like a friend of mine that I talked to this week who is battling mental illness and, and is in a real struggle right now, and he's found a home here, and in his words, has never felt more accepted and love in the midst of his brokenness than he does in this place among these people. And so I, I pray, God, you would continue to do that. You would continue to create that. You would continue to break our hearts for the one. I pray for some of us. Um, in, in a way, I almost feel like it's not our fault, but we've been so inundated um, with this ridiculous Western Christianity that has us sitting in rows and lifting hands without ever lifting a hand to help people who are far from God. Move us out of that, move us out of our comfort zones. We are not a church that is here as a country club mentality. We are a hospital for broken people. Move us into action. And we are so thankful for what you've already done, for what you're going to do as we launch this campus on April 21st, for the many who are going to continue to encounter Jesus. And we thank you for what you're about to do in these few minutes. There's some of us online, on radio, and in the house, and we're in the best possible way on the clock. And these are the moments where you're going to run us down. And so do your thing. Help us to get out of the way and change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So here's a question we're asking in this series. What, what do you need to, de to declare war on? What do you need to declare war on? For some of us, you need to declare war on some kind of social media addiction. Some of you need to declare war on anxiety. Some of you need to declare war on a porn addiction. Some of you need to declare war on some kind of fear that you're battling right now. Like anybody find yourself battling fear about all kinds of different things at certain seasons in your life? Fear over your kids, fear of where your kids are going to end up, fear of whether I'm going to have enough to parent my kids well, um, fear that I'm already not parenting them well, uh, fear over the future, um, fear over not making the right decision, fear over, like I have fear, oh, if you, you, you do anything um, for a living that involves public speaking or creativity, and, and many wouldn't see it this way, but I, I view this as an art. There's a vulnerability to it. I have fear over whether I'm going to deliver another good message the next week, like constantly. Like I constantly feel like maybe I've run out of bad ideas and this next message is going to suck. And this might be the day. This might be the day where that message really sucks. But that's just me being vulnerable is there's constantly this fear, this insecurity that I've got to deal with, fear over... Um, whatever it is, maybe something we're carrying from the past, but, but there's something that you need to declare war on. And one of the things that happens for a lot of us is we get into certain things or behaviors or mindsets, and, and it gets to a place where we feel like we can't get back out of them, where we almost feel like we're stuck. And so I just want to ask you the question as we move forward in this series, what do you need to declare war on? What do you need to declare war on? And here's what I think a lot of us know, and I don't want to give too much power to this, but this is real. This is a real thing, is that there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything in your life. There is an enemy that wants to kill your marriage. There is an enemy that wants to drive you deeper and deeper into anxiety and give up on life. 
There is an enemy that wants to sabotage your parenting. There is an enemy that wants to get you to believe that you are what you struggle with, but you just need to know this. And again, I don't wanna give it too much power because the scripture says the power that is work in us is greater than the power that comes against us. But you do need to know that there is an enemy that wants to steal and to kill and destroy. And here's the thing about it. Until you know that you are in a war, you have no chance of fighting. Like the battle is over if you're in a war, but you don't know you're in a war. And so you're not ready to do any kind of battle. When I was um, a teenager, we had this trampoline. And it's so funny because our kids got a trampoline for Christmas and there's like seven foot high netting and there's padding everywhere and you can't even see the springs. And no joke, I remember we had a rusty trampoline with rusty springs that we would constantly fly off of or get stuck in the springs and probably should have tetanus shots and we didn't. But anyway, so our kids have the, you know, 2019 trampoline. um, And it's so interesting. When I was a teenager, I was on the trampoline with my friend, a good friend, best friend at the time. And we had just gotten these boxing gloves. So we're going to try to play around on the trampoline. He had about 80 pounds on me. And so we got on and we're just kind of playing around. And I don't know why I just wanted to get in a punch, but he he had 80 pounds on me. So we're just kind of playing around. And then out of nowhere, I just, bam. I mean, as hard as I possibly could hit him in the jaw, dropped him to the ground on the trampoline. And I immediately sprung off and ran because that was the end of the fight. And I'm generally a slap and run guy. So that, but And my point is is he had no idea that we were in a fight because I initiated it and I dropped him even though he had 80 pounds on me. And the same is true in life. If you do not know that you are fighting a battle, you have no chance of winning that battle. And the other reality is this, is that some of us in certain areas of our life, we're living in this victim mentality. And here's what I wanna tell you in this series is that you are either going to adopt the mindset of a victim or you are going to achieve victory, but there is no neutral ground. And it doesn't mean that God is gonna take everything away or he's gonna make everything all right. I don't live in that false reality. But there are some things that God wants to set you free from. And some of us are living victimized and God's going, I want to give you victory. I want to do something in this, and I want you to declare war on it. So I want us to come around this declaration, whatever the thing or things are in your life, to go, I'm going to declare war on a version of myself that I don't want to be. I'm going to declare war on a version of myself that I don't want to be. In fact, I just want you to say that, and if you're online and you're somewhere by yourself, this will be weird, but you can participate. I just want you to say it. I declare war. One more time, that was weak. I declare war. All right, one more time. I'm gonna say it and then you say it, okay? I declare war. I declare war. I'm done, and this is how I feel in some areas of my life where I'm carrying some things. I'm done being held hostage to a me that I don't wanna be. And here's why this is important, and this is where I wanna get our mind right. Here's why it's important to declare war is because until you see whatever is coming against you or whatever you are struggling with as an entity that is not you, you're gonna have trouble ever moving past it. 
throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about this struggle that we have. And Paul's like, I do stuff that I don't want to do. And what I don't want to do, I do want to do. And it's like, Paul, but all of us, all of us feel that way at certain times. And, and Paul goes to great lengths to remind us that whatever we are struggling with, even the desires within, if you have come to a place to place your faith and trust in Jesus, those things are not you. And in a lot of cases, we feel like it's us against God because of whatever we're struggling with and somehow we are at odds. But the reality is when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he is on our side, no matter what we're struggling with. And he's going, we can defeat this. We can defeat even what is going on inside of you and we can defeat what is coming against you. And when you declare war, you separate you from what you do. And some of you, that's really important. You are not your addiction. You are not your anger. You are not your affair. You are not your unfaithfulness. You are not your insecurity. You are not your business failure. And you need to come to the place to go, even the desires within you, that's an old you that is not you. And the stuff that you're struggling with and the stuff that's coming against you, you have somebody on your side to go, I want to defeat this with you. And it is not who you are. It's an entity outside of you. And I walked out of a grave so that you could have victory. And I love this example. Levi Lusco uses this. And um, I think it was Teddy Roosevelt during the Spanish-American War. I may have this way off, but I think that's what it was. And they were going into battle and he was riding a horse into battle and the odds were against them. And he writes that as he's going into battle, there's this thing that just kind of welled up inside of him and used the language that in that moment, the wolf started to rise. Like we were, I was in battle, the odds were against us. And as we narrowed our focus on the enemy that needed to be defeated, the wolf began to rise. I love that language. For us, the wolf is we have the power of the spirit of God inside of us. The same power that was hanging out on Easter weekend that raised Christ from the grave, the same power that defeats death, the same power that overcame any sin. Guys, you just need to realize this. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that power is inside of you. That power is, I don't think we live that way enough. I don't think we remind ourselves of that enough. I don't think we preach that enough, but the power that raised Jesus from the grave is working inside of us. And when we narrow our focus on what is coming up against us, rather than just let it happen to us, something happens that unleashes the power of God inside of us. When we decide I'm not gonna be a victim any longer and the wolf starts to rise, and Jesus says, I want to move you forward. And so what do you need to declare war on? What do you need to declare war on? Your darkness, what those demons, your complacency, your self-sabotaging. Have you ever gotten into a wrong car before? Has anybody, has anybody gotten into a wrong Uber before? Um, my dad is notorious for this. Um, one time uh, years ago, he had this huge van and he was coming out of the store and he got into the van and he, and he's looking around, his key is not working in the van. And then he looks and he doesn't remember putting a hula girl on the dashboard of the van. And then he realizes I don't smoke, but there's cigarettes in the console. And then he realizes that he can't, the key doesn't work because it's not his van. 
And so he quickly gets out, and, and that's one of many times. There's another time where he's rushing and coming out of the store, and I mean, he's left his car running before while he goes into the store and all kind of craziness. Um, but he goes out, he gets in the car, the car's already running, he's ready to go, turns to his right and sees a woman that was not my mom, and she's staring back at him with huge eyes as this guy in a cardigan is about to jack her car and do who knows what. And he immediately just got out of the car, absolutely mortified. And my whole point is this, I'm not saying that Jesus is gonna heal you of everything, that he is gonna make everything right, but I'm telling you for a lot of us, there is a victory that we are not realizing. And if you got into the car, in a lot of cases, you can get out of the car. And there is something that God wants to do. And so last week, um, I'm loving these front rows right here. Thank you, guys. Um, last week, we talked about declaring war on our, our, our thoughts. And that's massive. But I, I, think, I think even our thoughts are directed by what we're going to talk about today, that at some point, you've got to declare war on your words. And one of the things that's going to direct your thoughts is the words that you speak. And I feel so passionate about this. I think this is something that God's worked in my heart over the last probably year in a way that he never has in my years so far that has really shaped me just the power of this idea. Now, I need to say this. I kind of make my living speaking on a stage, and I am the dumbest person in the world when it comes to one-on-one, -on -one, and I say the dumbest things that you could ever imagine. Like, you should just know this. My wife is great. Usually um, when I'm with her, she, I'm kind of her wingman. I try to shut up and just let, um, because I just turn into an idiot and it's been that way all my life. So like when I was in high school, we were at um, a preseason basketball tournament. Um, and that year we went on to win the state championship and I was MVP of the tournament and shot 70% from three. And I just feel like you need to know that. But, um, <laughs> and so, um, so we were at the preseason tournament and we had won a couple games. We were doing really, really well. And we, were, we had gone away to this college um, up north for this tournament. And so we were talking to a couple other guys and they were asking how the tournament was going. I was like, well, it's great. We've won all our games, but we kind of beat a bunch of scrubs. And, and then I realized the guy that I'm talking to was one of the scrubs that we beat earlier that day. And then you know how you try to backpedal. Well, I don't mean I don't mean you. You guys were great. I mean, the other scrubs, you guys were a tough game. And you know but it's never left me. So a few years ago, because I just feel like I need to talk about this, I had this, this three-week season, and this is no lie, you can run my wife down and ask her today, where <clears throat> I was talking to somebody after church, and I was meeting them for the first time, and there was their grandkid, or so I thought. And you know, you want to err on the side of, but no, not me. Hey, is that your grandkid? No, 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 that's my kid. And so you think, well, that would be enough. So a week later, I met somebody else who's got their, what I thought was grandkid. And you should err on the side of, no, is that your grandkid? No, that's my kid, idiot. And then I'm at, this is, no, I'm not even kidding. Then I'm at Publix and somebody starts talking to my wife because this happens everywhere. People just start talking to her. And so we're watching, you know, seeing photos and I'm trying to be nice. I'm like, oh, that's, a, that, that's your grandkid. And finally, Nicole just pulls me aside and she's like, would you shut up? Like, just don't say anything anymore. And why, like, it's like asking somebody who's not pregnant if they're pregnant, just even if they're 90, pretend it's their kid. What's wrong with you? So I say all that to say, I'm stupid. Like, I say the dumbest things in the world. And, um, 
I do it in marriage. I like, I just, and in Matthew 15, 11 talks about the fact that those are tame in terms of what our words have the potential to do. But one of the greatest enemies is our words, right? And Matthew says this in Matthew 15, 11, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Like your biggest enemy isn't the crap you eat. It's the things that you say. And if you are going to win, and if I am going to win the war with myself, I have got to, and you have got to learn how to speak differently. And your words are either gonna sabotage you and sabotage the relationships that mean the most. In fact, here's what I would say for a lot of us, that some of our greatest regrets can almost exclusively be tied to something that started with words. It can either sabotage your future or it can be the thing that actually directs your future and directs your life. James in the New Testament talks about this. He's like, if you get control of your mouth and your words, it literally directs all of your life. It's that powerful. And if you are going to win the battle within, you've got to learn how to speak differently because your words determine the trajectory of your life and the trajectory of your relationships. Your marriage is going where your words are going. Your parenting is going where your words are going. Your calling is going where your words are headed. It's just the reality. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting. We speak about 5,000 words a day. If you're my six-year-old, 9,000. But most of us five that like she literally talks all day. She talks in her sleep. And many times we wake up to her talking beside our bed. Like it never stops. But we, we, we communicate about 5,000 words a day. It's really interesting that only about, uh, or, or actually about 7% of our communication is the words themselves. Like about 93% of our communication is our face, our body language, our tone. Like we understand how powerful communication is, not just the words, but the entirety of our communication. Like somebody can tell you something like, and you can hear the words coming out of their mouth, but you don't believe a word they're saying, right? Like we had to go to Texas this last week. We met the lady that was working for the rental car company and she had like the company line and obvious there's some kind of playbook and they just rehearsed the thing. But I mean, I'm looking at her and I'm like, I hear the words coming out of your mouth. I, your face and everything else does not believe a thing that you are saying. It was a really bad experience. I won't throw them under the bus. If you know my wife, you know that we got an upgrade on our rental car, but, um, but you hear it and like, I'm not, I don't believe anything that you're saying because there's so much more to it than just words. And here's one of the things I think is true that in our culture of like text messaging and messaging in general, um, this is a huge problem. Like, okay, text messaging, let me just talk about it for a second. Have you ever gotten um, a sure with a period? Is there anything more passive aggressive than a sure with a period? Or this is the other one, okay with a period? Like what kind of enemy are you that you've got to send me an okay with a period? Like what point are you trying to make? And then last, let me just give you like one more. And this is, I think this is the worst one on K. This is the equivalent of the middle finger emoji without actually using the middle finger emoji. If you send me a K, you are off my contact list and we are not speaking ever again. 
And then the other thing is like when, when you have somewhat of a tense convert, you know, or you're not sure how a text is going to be received. And then you just watch these bubbles. What are they going to say? What are they going to say? And then bubbles just go away. And you're like, what? But we, we, we struggle with communicate because communication is not just words. Communication is the entirety tone and body language and all of those things. And it has incredible weight. Like I could get up here today and ruin my career with the words. Elders come next week onto the stage. Like you remember Bryant? He's not, he's not coming back. Words are unbelievably weighty. And, and can we just get really real for a second? And I don't think it's something we talk about a lot, but we need to say it we're gonna give an account for our words. Like one of the things that we almost never talk about in church is the fact that, that there, there's nothing other than, than grace that happens through faith that's gonna determine heaven for any of us. So I just wanna say that for a second, um, depending on your background, is there is only one way to Jesus and that is by grace through faith. He died, we believe he rose again and he's offering life and you can't do anything to earn it or keep it. It is simply a gift of grace, it is undeserved. And it happens by just placing your faith in what he did in history, which was coming out of a grave alive and believing that validated everything that he said. And that's the only way to God, that's it, by grace through faith. And though there's nothing other than that that's gonna determine heaven, there's a lot of things that the scripture talks about that is gonna determine our place in heaven. Like, do you know you are working on a retirement plan? Seriously. And it's gonna trump your 401k or if Bitcoin ever takes off again or whatever else you're leaning into, what you do now matters. It doesn't matter in terms of heaven, but the scripture over and over again talks about there are going to be rewards. And there is nothing maybe bigger than our words where again and again, the scripture talks about your words now you're going to give account of. In fact, Matthew says this, and the message I think puts this so well, every one of these careless words is gonna come back, and this is kind of strong, is gonna come back to haunt you. And there will be a time of reckoning. And now for some of us, like I was dealing with somebody the other week where when I read that, I'm like, heck yeah, there's gonna be a reckoning. But then I gotta turn that around to go, that's, that's talking about me too. There's gonna be a reckoning for the words that I say and the words that I don't say and, and how I say it. And at the end of the verse, it says, words are powerful, so take them seriously. Realize that your words have extraordinary weight and they're gonna direct your life and they're going to be a large part of determining whether or not you win the war within you. Our words, there, there's three main things I wanna talk about um, real quick, and that's probably my first lie of today, but I, I'm gonna attempt to. Your words impact other people. Like some of us have destroyed the people that we love the most because of words that we've spoken. Like think about this, that, that death and a lot of times war this epidemic of bullying where people take their life in many cases started, this is so powerful, with words, with just words. 
There's other words, whether it's sarcasm or, or anger or that text message or the BCC email, and they have extraordinary power to wound, extraordinary power to destroy. Proverbs, Solomon, again, the message says it this way, words kill. Words kill marriages, words kill relationships, words kill dreams, words kill destiny, words can kill stuff, and words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit, and I love this. You choose. You choose. Now, here's the thing about words. Words aren't equally weighted. Hey, dads, I don't know why this is. Your words weigh like 5,000 pounds. If you're a boss leading other people, your words weigh more than other individuals. Somebody else could say the same exact thing. It wouldn't have near the implications, wouldn't have near the wounding power, but your words, because of your position, they have more weight. Words are not equally weighted. I remember um, in high school, and this is such a, a seemingly, you know, I don't know, insignificant detail or moment, but just to give credence to this, I remember I was with my mom and there was some kind of thing we were doing at school. And so um, I was worried about, and this is so me, I was worried about what I was wearing like to this thing. And, and I, I, I wasn't kind of fitting in with everybody else. I didn't get the memo or whatever. And I just remember telling my mom about this and, and she just looked at me and said, well, you know what? You're, you're not like everybody else. And it was seemingly insignificant. My mom would never even remember that she said that. But what I find really interesting is 20 whatever years later, I still remember that statement. And there has been multiple, multiple times in certain seasons where I've kind of felt on the outside or felt like an outsider, which I feel like has happened a lot. And I've come back to that phrase spoken kind of on a whim that she would never remember. But in some ways it directed my life. I came back to it again and again. Then I had, on the negative side, I had this sixth grade teacher that I hated. And I felt like she constantly, this is me being really vulnerable. Um, I kind of feel like this is counseling and it may sound like psychobabble, but I'm just telling you my story. And she constantly was like, I felt like she was underestimating me. And um, which just sounds crazy. She's a sixth grade teacher. What's my problem? But no joke. And this is just me, whatever. But years later, like a couple years ago, I like connected the dots that there were times where I was trying to stick it to my sixth grade teacher still. Anytime I felt underestimated and I don't even know where she is. She doesn't know me. She wouldn't remember me in her class. But I remember some words that were spoken over me as a sixth grader that at some level were still directing some of the decisions in my life. How crazy is that? Your words are not equally weighted. Another thing is that I already kind of talked about, and since I'm just on this role of being vulnerable today, um, preaching's a big one. When you do any kind of public speaking, you can have 100 people tell you how awesome it is, and uh, you get criticism constantly, and most of it is not that big a deal, but you'll have that one person that'll say something, and all of a sudden I'll be like, why does that matter to me so much? And it's 100 to one, but the one is all I can think about because for some reason their words are weighted differently. Words are not weighted equally. And the second thing is recovery time is not weighted equally. Recovery time is not equally weighted. It's why you will be in some kind of relationship and somebody will say something and then they'll come back later and go, well, I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry. And the implication is like, why aren't you okay? Why aren't you over this? Because you can speak a word in a moment, it can take a decade of recovery time. 
Recovery time to your words are not equally weighted. Ephesians says this, again, the message, watch the way you talk. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Like what if we measured our words that way? Like, what if you thought as you were beginning to speak, and I get it, I've got toddlers, I have a wife. Like, there was stuff that went down last night as I was preparing to preach this message, wishing I would have used different words. I get it. But what if we looked at our words like that? Is this a gift? Is this a gift? Is this, are these words a gift? And can I just say this? I think sometimes our words are time-sensitive, and this is something that's hard to explain, and I, so I can't fully, but, but if you are a follower of Jesus, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And there are these things called promptings where the Spirit of God will prompt you to say something at a specific time, and that something is time sensitive. When we were finishing the funeral last week and we were coming back to our hotel, it was late at night, and so we had gone through a day where we were just hanging out with people and um, eating food and in the midst of it, just trying to laugh and tell stories. And as we were coming back into the hotel, um, my wife, who is a classic oversharer, comes into the hotel and, and somebody asks how things are doing. Like, well, I just went to my brother's funeral today. Like, what do you say to that? You know what I mean? So you watch everybody scramble at the desk like, ah, sorry, you know, and then try to duck out. Like, what do you, what do you say? And there was this one guy that was there. And this is going to seem insignificant to you, but I'm telling you, it was so powerful at the moment. And, and he hears her and he locks eyes and there's not even a bit of intimidation. And he walks over to me right away and he grabs my hand, grabs both of my hands. This is, this is a guy that's working there. I don't know him. I, I saw him one time. He was amazing at what he did, which I loved. And he grabs my hand and he says, just these words. He said, hey, heaven is our home. And then he says to me, hey, stay strong, man, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and you got to be sensitive to the spirit because you can say stuff. This is a whole nother message when people are in grief and you just want to go shut up. I don't want to hear what you have to say, and I don't want to verse right now. But in that moment, I, I just believe he was prompted by the Spirit of God and he had some time-sensitive words. And I can't tell you how much those words meant in the moment. And then my wife making things further you know, awkward was in tears and sobbing in the lobby and nobody knew what to do at that point. But I'm, I'm telling you, there, there are certain times where God will use you as a mouthpiece to literally declare what he wants to declare to somebody else. And he is outside of time and outside of space and we can't see him. But I'm telling you, he's communicating. And when we get sensitive to the spirit of God, there's some words that he wants to speak that literally are from him. But in some cases, they're time sensitive. And you gotta lean in to speak what you need to speak when you need to speak it and realize that my words can be a gift to somebody else. And then I love Colossians. It says, let every word, from the Passion Translation, let every word you speak, this is such great language, be drenched with grace. Let it be drenched with grace. Let it be sometimes a disproportionate response because that's what grace is, right? This is not what you deserve for me to say to you, but I'm drenching it in grace. This is not how I should respond in my natural self, but I am about to drench this in grace. You know, one of the things that like we're, we're trying to make our goal and my wife and I go anywhere and we're in the car and we're about to be with friends. We're about to 
go have food with somebody. We're about to just be around a group of people. We always have prayer together. Sounds weird, but in the car on the way there, because we just want to be so aware of this, that as we get around other people recognizing we have extraordinary power with our words. And I think one of, I think one of the, the things that we kind of need to get our mindset around is when we come into an environment with other people, it doesn't matter who it is, your husband, your wife, your friends, your extended family, that when you leave, they don't feel impressed with you. They feel better about themselves. I think that should be our goal in relationship, that we should drench it. I'm not coming to one-up you or get you to be impressed with me. When I leave our time together, and I don't get this right a lot, but this is my goal. I want you to feel better about you because I want my words to be drenched in grace, and I realize how much power they have. And then he says, this is so important, and tempered, this is, church, listen, tempered with truth and clarity. I love Craig Rochelle, the statement from him, everything that is said must be true. Not everything that is true must be said. The church for too long has come around truth, 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 and we have had no clarity. And there is a time for truth and we must never back away from truth. Jesus was grace and truth. But there's some things that you just don't need to say. And there's sometimes you need to lean into the spirit of God to go, is this something I need to confront? Because there's times where you need to confront. There's times where you need to address. There's times you need to have a conversation. You need to tell the truth. I'm not saying you don't. But there are other times where you need to come into a conversation and realize, do I need to address this with them? Do I really need to talk to them about this? Do I really need to confront this? Is this about serving them and serving the relationship? Or is this all about maybe some insecurity in me, some wounds in me? that I just need to go deal with rather than hiding behind. Well, I'm just being honest. No, maybe you're being an idiot. Maybe there's no clarity and you have truth, but there is no clarity about when to talk about and how to talk about that truth. And we just need to come around the idea that there are some things that do not need to be said. And come on, church, we need to be all about truth. But if our words are not drenched in grace, and if we don't have clarity about when to talk about things and how to construct the conversation, nobody is ever going to listen. Nobody's ever going to listen. That we would be drenched with grace and tempered with truth and clarity, and we would recognize that our words have weight. And I just, I was talking to my father-in-law about this the other day that as a church, I think that we so need to start erring on the side of the fact that there are a lot of hopeless people, a lot of broken people, a lot of lost people, and they just need some words of hope and healing. And I think we are the biggest distributor of those words because we know Jesus. We have the words of eternal life. We are carriers of good news. And I think the church and a culture that is broken and hurting and lost, we need to start speaking a lot more words of hope and healing and the fact that there really is good news in Jesus. Yeah. Your words impact other people. I'm gonna go quicker here with these next two, but your words impact the future. They alter the course of history. They alter the course of your life. You just need to know this and I'll go quick, but. You were created in such a way that words in faith unleash the impossible. That words in faith unleash power. You serve a God, and I've talked about this before, but, but you are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. 
And literally when God started all this, no matter how he used, and I'm not making a science argument, theology and science are completely compatible. I don't have all the answer, but I know at some level, whatever God got started, he spoke it into existence. And that over and over again, Jesus' ministry, he would speak and things would happen. He would speak and dead people would stop being dead. He would speak and nature would just go, okay, we're gonna obey you. He would speak and his words have power. And so now as the imago Dei made in the image of God, obviously to a lesser degree, but our words have extraordinary power to shape the future and to shape where we're going because of our dad. Our words in the imago Dei have extraordinary power. And it's why in the New Testament, it says, Mark writes it. If anyone says, speaks to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea. It will be done for them. That literally when you speak what is true, it unleashes the power of that truth. When you, hear me for a second. When you speak what is true, when you have the right source, not what you feel and not what you think, but what God has said. When you speak what is true, it unleashes the power of that truth. Now, I'm not talking about vending machine God. I'm not talking about just because you want it and speak it, it's gonna happen. In fact, the impossible thing might be you are walking through hell right now. Everything is hitting the fan. There are no good outcomes. You would never choose this. And the impossible thing is that in the midst of that, you are able to continue to believe when you don't get what you want. That may be the impossible thing. That may be the power that God wants to unleash. We've walked through some really difficult stuff the last couple of weeks. You don't want to go to a funeral for a 31-year-old man with his whole life ahead of him with two little kids. The impossible thing for us, the, the, the power that we needed to be unleashed in our life was that God would continue to help us believe and have confidence in him even when we do not know what he's doing. That may be the impossible thing. And when you are willing to speak what God says is true, it it causes something that seems impossible to happen in Jesus' name. When you are walking through some maybe really difficult times right now and you begin to speak and unleash the power of God, you are with me. God, you are good. And one day I'm gonna see that goodness again. I'm just not seeing it right now. And you are not absent. You are active even in this situation. I'm gonna speak and I'm gonna unleash the power of that truth. And I am gonna believe that I am not a victim. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. You are gonna lead me through this. And you have a hope and you have a future for my life. And I have no idea what you are doing through this hell, but here's what I know and I'm gonna speak that even through this, that hope and that future is going to be born. You are going to do something through this and the enemy will not win. And when I speak the truth of what Jesus has already said, it unleashes that power and it unleashes the impossible in my life, not to get everything I want, but for God to do something in my faith and walk me through the darkest values, valleys, believing that he is good, believing that he is able and believing that he is with me. And listen, you don't have to feel it. We're in a culture where we don't act until we feel. We're in a culture where we've got to feel it to believe it. You don't need to feel anything. 
You don't need a song. You don't need emotion. There's moments you don't need tears. There's moments the tears won't even come. You need to rest on the truth and you need to speak what God has said, even when you are struggling to believe it. And eventually you will begin to feel what is true, but you don't need to wait to feel whatever it is that God says is true. So I just wanna ask you, what do you need to speak over your future that God already says is a reality? What do you need to speak over this hell right now that you're walking through that God already says is a reality? I'm gonna do what I said I was gonna do. What do you need to speak? And then lastly, your, your words, they impact other people, they impact the future, and your words impact you. What you say to you is the most powerful words of all. Everything flows out of it. How you are speaking to other people, what you're speaking over your future, it all starts internally. In fact, people would say that we speak to ourselves more than we speak to anybody else. That the majority of your words throughout the day, this is just a known fact, it's a lot of inner dialogue. It's a lot of self-talk. It's you talking to you. And what you say to you are some of the important words. Some of you are in a relational dysfunction right now and you think it's whatever the issue is. And for some of you, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what you're saying to you that's sabotaging the relationship. You, and here's the thing, this is so huge and I'm gonna try to wind this down. You cannot start with what you think about you. Your words to yourself have got to start with what the great I am says about you. David in the Old Testament, he's called to defeat Goliath and David doesn't start with David. I'm a dude that's been herding shepherd sheep, not shepherds, I don't know what he was doing. I have nothing, I know nothing about shepherds. He was doing something with sheep, whatever they do. And he's a teenage boy and like there, there's not much on his resume. And he comes and sees Goliath and sees the Philistine army and says, who would raise up against and defy the living God? I'm gonna go defeat him because God's gonna go with me. And so I'm starting with what God says, not who I am or what I feel. Gideon's the, the other example. Gideon in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, he's called to go do something incredible to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon starts giving God his resume. Well, I went to junior college. I'm part of the lower clan of the tribes. I'm not that impressive. I'm not, I can't do it. And God says to him, no, no, you're a mighty warrior, Gideon. Stop hiding in a wine press and go. Stop starting with what you think about you and begin to rest in what I say about you. You're a mighty warrior, done, go. You can't even start with your own heart because your words that start with the right source direct your heart. And so here's what I wanna say real quick, is some of you are on this loop of self and this language of self that is sabotaging you. Because here's the thing, as long as you are on the loop of self, and what I mean by that is, what I am, what I'm not, what I think about me, what I think about my circumstance, you're just gonna continue to loop. It's gonna, it's gonna start with you and it's gonna loop back to you and you're gonna constantly see all of the ways that you aren't enough. Words that start with you will always end in two things. They will end in scarcity and they will end in shame. Words that start with you and we are a me culture, let's just be honest. Words that start with you and what you think about you is why self-help will not help you. You can, you can gather up all of the lion within you and eventually you are going to be led to a place where you feel not enough and you carry shame. Your loop cannot start and end with you. You need a new loop. And when you start with you, you're always going to have this feeling of scarcity. That was the disciples, right? Hey, there's 5,000 we need to feed and we got five loaves and two fish. There's no way we can do that. 
rather than then coming around the reality of Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Meaning if God calls you, God is gonna supply you. And you cannot start with what you think about you or what you think about your circumstances. You've got to create a new loop that starts with what he says. And until you do, you are always going to be led back to not enough. Not enough grace, not enough power, not enough strength, not enough money, not enough sleep, not enough education, not enough skill, because you're on the loop that starts with you and ends back to what you don't have. And listen, you aren't enough. I just wanna tell you, I'm not enough. He is, he can, he will, he is able. And you need to begin to start with what he says about you and what he says about your circumstance. And until you do, you will always be under the mindset of not enough. And I think one of the biggest things we need to do, can I preach for one more minute? I need to tell you this. I think for a lot of us, we need to shift our focus from an entitlement mindset to a a mindset of gratitude. It's interesting that they've done studies that the very thing that we get from pills and medication, which I am all about, and many of us, we, we need that. But the thing that that does in many cases, it, it releases dopamine and serotonin into the system. And this is crazy to me, that literally when you say thank you, recent studies have shown, it it actually releases dopamine and serotonin into your system, it spikes in your system. Because science and theology completely are compatible and God talks about this in the word. And so we need to begin to shift and look at all that God's done, all that God can do, rather than looking at all of the ways that we're not enough and don't have enough. We need to move from entitlement to gratitude. God can, God is, he will, he is able. A guy by the name of Travis Bradbury, wrote a book on emotional intelligence and and again, study the fact that the more you complain, the more that your brain is hardwired to complain more. And so you've got to shift the loop. If you think something is gonna suck, it's gonna suck. And this is not about positive thinking. This is about what Solomon says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I need to start not with myself. I need to start with the source, what God says. I need to create a new loop that starts with him and ends with his power in me. Otherwise, I'm gonna constantly be under not enough and I'm gonna constantly carry the idea of shame. And you just need to know, church, God has created a new loop. He came, he died, he lived the perfect life you couldn't live. He paid for all of your sin on the cross. He walked out of a grave alive. He is alive and well in history. And when you place your faith and trust in him, you are given a new identity. You are given a new nature. You become a son and a daughter of God. You don't have to carry the shame any longer that says, I can't measure up. I can't do enough. I can never keep the rules. I can never be good enough. And he says, you can't, you were never intended to be. I was good enough for you. Reset the loop that starts with me, how great I am, what I've done for you. And then allow the loop to come back to you that now doesn't look at your defense deficiencies and your shame, but instead looks at you the way your heavenly father looks at you. You are righteous in his sight. It's as if you have earned and you have succeeded and you have finished the race. Well, he recklessly loves you. You are worth Jesus. You're a son 
and a daughter of the resurrected King. And you may be in the midst of dysfunction and addiction right now, but that is not how he sees you. And your new you needs to speak to your old you that says that is not who I am any longer. I'm setting a new loop that doesn't end with not enough. And it doesn't end with shame. It ends with who I am in Jesus Christ. And that will begin to change the trajectory of your life. That'll begin to change the trajectory of your relationships. It's why, guys, it's why you need community. It's why you should go today. Some of you, God has given you the gift and, and you don't even need to be that gifted to go lead a group and shepherd some people. And there are tons of you in this room. You're just stiff arming God. You need to go do it today. And then there's a bunch of others. You just need to be in a group. Uh, my goal, my prayer, more than anything else, we'd see 100% of the thousand plus people, the 3,000 that attend every month to get into a group, a community group. And they would begin to get with some people over time that can help them declare a war on their words. They can hold them accountable and they can begin to declare what is true over them. I don't know in certain seasons how I would have made it without community. And some of you, man, you need to take the step to get into a group and you need to begin to speak the truth to you. One of the things I do that may be kind of weird to you is I keep a journal. And I heard this from somebody years ago and it just stuck with me. And you can think it's weird, that's fine, but that I wasn't gonna be my own worst critic anymore. I was gonna shift my role to coach. And a coach tells you the truth, but his whole goal is, I wanna lead you to be all that you've been called to be. And so I keep a journal where I constantly journal what God says about me. Because I have insecurity, I have fear, I have moments where no matter what I've seen God do, I'm not sure if he's gonna do it again. And so I am constantly out loud or with pen, I am reminding myself with my words what God has said over my life, what God has said over my future, what God has said over who I am. I am recklessly loved. I have a hope in the future. I am worth Jesus. I am accepted. And I am a son and daughter of the resurrected King. And I have a destiny and a will that God wants to fulfill through my life. And I'm not that great, but dang it, he is. And so as we end, I just wanna tell you this. I just wanna, your words have weight. And if you're gonna win the war within you today, this is my hope, you would declare war on your words. And you would begin to do battle. And you're not gonna be, be able to do it on your own. It has to be Christ in you. But I'm telling you, if you can reset the loop that stops ending in shame and stops ending in not enough, and it starts with him and it ends with his power that has been placed in you, God is gonna do something revolutionary in your life and in your heart. So what do you need to declare war on? And are you willing today to say, I declare war on my words? Jesus, set me free from the chains of scarcity and not enough. Help me to powerfully impact others with my words in a way that maybe I haven't to this point. I just want you to know there's grace. There's grace to fill in the gap for all the regret you have over words that you shouldn't have said. God can restore, God can redeem. And God, I want, I want to be mindful of my words in terms of how they shape my future. And I wanna be mindful of my words to me. And so as we close, I just wanna tell you this and, and I will be done right here. Dads, your words weigh 5,000 pounds. And I just, I need to know that. I went off on my kids last night, preparing for this message. And that truth just hit me. My words weigh 5,000 pounds. 
And I, I've told this story before, but it's the best illustration that I can give. And, um, and if you think that I'm a great father by this example, I have so many other really poor examples. So just know that, like, just keep that in mind. But I'll constantly speak things over my kids. And one of my goals early on was I wanted to speak over them who I believed they were and what God was doing in their life about three more times than I affirmed what they did. I wanted to affirm who they are. And I'll go in often with my boys and it's kind of weird against in my girl and I'll just speak what I see over them. And one of my goals with my girl is I want to affirm so much who she is in Christ that, that she's not gonna have to go looking for that anywhere else. And she can come and look at me and she can hear my words and hopefully I can be a mouthpiece to her heavenly father that never leads her in insecurity that she's gotta go find it from some man when she already has it in Jesus. And so I'll constantly, I'll go into her bed and hey babe, I just, I just wanna tell you what I see that God's doing in you. You are so kind, you are so generous. And at, at this level, at your age, to have that, that, like that's a gift of Jesus. You have an unbelievable personality that literally gives life to people that, when they're around you. You, you, are, you are, it's so incredible what God has given you in, in, in order to just be able to connect with people at, at six years old. And I'll just say these words over here. And I, I'll never forget one night when I was doing this, and I don't do it every night, but I'll do it multiple times a week when I was just speaking to her. And she looked up at me with her, her big little eyes about two years ago. And she said, Daddy, Say it again. Daddy, say it again. And with crazy dad tears, I tried to say it again. Dad, your words weigh 5,000 pounds. Wives, we try to pretend like this is not the case. We're not gonna let you in on it. Our egos are extraordinarily fragile. Guard your words, guard your words. We, we don't deserve probably a lot of the words that, that we're looking for, drench them in grace. Kids, your words to your parents will be the heaviest words they ever hear. Heaviest words they ever hear. There is no such thing as it's just my mom. They will be the heaviest words that you ever hear. Guard your words, drench them in grace come with full-on truth and full-on clarity. And, and men, honor women with your words. Honor women with your words. Not just when they're in the room, but when they're not in the room. Honor women with your words. Begin to speak words that create the kind of world that you want your daughter to grow up in. Honor women with your words. And then lastly, it all starts with what you're saying to you. For some of you, you need to break the multi-generational cycle of some things that have been said. For others of you, you need to break the cycle of some things that have been unsaid and you need to begin to say them. And one of the things that I find so often is we'll be in relationship with people and, and, and the Holy Spirit will prompt us to say something and we'll hide behind, well, they're going to get awkward and they don't like words of affirmation and they're going to get weird and they're going to blow me off. It's all a lie. People need to hear from you. And our cycles of insecurity usually shut people down, but I'm telling you, speak it anyway. 
be weird anyway. Let them get awkward anyway. Do not leave it unsaid. And then lastly, church, I just wanna say this to us. Let's be this kind of church that doesn't just talk about a gospel of good news. Everything we do communicates it is a gospel of good news. You're in addiction, there is good news. You're in mental illness, yes, we are all broken. Jesus can put it back together and he sees you as lavishly loved and worth Jesus. You are not your mental illness. You are struggling through something in marriage. You walked out, you are not what you did. And I just want us to realize this is our mission. Every time people show up and every time they leave, it's not that we don't speak truth, but we do it with clarity and we let them know there is hope, there is good news. We have the words of eternal life. There is a future and we are going to be a church that preaches and speaks that over a broken and hurting generation. There is hope and there is good news and we are carriers of that good news and we are carriers of that hope. Would you stand with me all over the house? And for some of you, you just need to declare right now in this moment that um, I can't do it on my own and I need help, but I want to declare war on my words. And so would you just lift up your hand if that is you? I don't mind awkward, I like it. And I think public declarations, even a hand raise doesn't seem like a big deal, but there's something powerful about it. When you are willing to take a step of public declaration, it really is an invitation for what God wants to do. Same thing is true of baptism. You don't think it's a big deal. That public declaration that you are unwilling to take a step and do, it is something that's holding you back in your spiritual journey. And so right now, if you're in a place, I, I'm declaring war. Let me pray for you and let me pray for us. Jesus, we need your help, but we know that you are here to help. You are a savior. You are a rescuer. Some of us, we have, we have some regret around our words where we just need to right now experience the drenching, overflowing work of your grace over us. So help us to hear that right now. And Lord, help us to begin to declare war on a better future and to begin to fight the battles within that if we are in Christ, you have already given us victory over. We need to claim it. We need to unleash the power of it. And we need to let you do your work in us. And so I pray for every single individual with hand raised that you would lead us right now into increasing victory and beginning to speak, first of all, over ourselves, who you say that we are. And so God, do your thing in our heart and in our life. And for a lot of us, set us free from the shackles of shame and the shackles of scarcity. And you can put your hands back down with heads bowed, eyes closed. I wanna give this final invitation. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you would just say right where you're at, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. And I'm asking you to save me and to become your child right where you're at. I wanna give you one more opportunity online or in the house. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you rose again. And right now I am trusting what you have done for me. Save me, make me your son and your daughter. With heads bowed, eyes closed, if this is your time today where you began a personal relationship with Jesus, first time, would you just lift your hands and go today was that day, this morning was that morning where I began a relationship with Jesus by faith. Awesome. I'd love for you 
as I get ready to pray here and end it, to grab the card in front of you that just says, I have decided, fill that out, bring it out um, to the connect point or the tent outside. And we'd love to just give you some information about this new journey. For some of you, you need to take a step to be baptized. Others of you, next week, you need to get into next steps. And that doesn't sound spiritual. That is maybe one of the catalytic things. God wants to begin to connect you to a local church so you can grow. Others of you need to get into a group. So wherever you are today, take a next step. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is, regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.